Hi, I'm Aliwan. It's not a common name, so I've gotten used to spelling it out phonetically. What I mean by that is, A like avocado, L like lemon, I like ice cream, W like watermelon, A like apple, and N like noodles. If you couldn't tell already, my brain is wired to think in food. My passion for cooking, eating, and talking about it started because of the people around me. Growing up, I remember my dad sitting on a stool, hunched over making noodles by hand. It was like magic seeing flour become the perfect vehicle to soak up the broth that was boiling on the stove for hours. When I was finally able to take that first bite, I would without a doubt always burn my tongue. But even still, the flavors made the waiting and pain worth it. Food is not only a source of nourishment for us, it can also be used to say I love you, I'm sorry, or keep us connected to our culture after immigrating to America. As I prepare to find my place in the nutrition and dietetics field, when it comes to food, I've noticed there's a disconnect between what is healthy versus what has been idolized as healthy. This perception often leads to a lack of diversity, creating a narrow image of how health can be attained. But should our approach to food really be as simple as good and bad? And is health defined the same from person to person? By the end of our time together, I hope to expand on what a healthy diet can look like by sharing with you the unique perspectives that tend to get left out of the conversation, as well as answering whether it is possible to eat healthily without giving up the foods we love. Welcome to Potluck. Health is a pretty broad and complex topic. It is objective yet subjective at the same time, meaning that while our collective concept of health might be the same, how we each define it is influenced by our surroundings. These influences then shape the choices we make to be healthy. The easiest way to see how nutrition frames health is by working backwards and talking about the individual pieces that connect food to our well-being. In today's episode, we'll be exploring how social media can impact our perception of foods and what we consider to be healthy. We'll also be discussing the interplay between this perception and someone's cultural background with the help from four guests, Seda, V, Professor Ismail, and Dr. Sriram. Feel free to grab some food while you listen and let's dig in. When we're not consumed by our mountain of responsibilities or avoiding assignments and deadlines, many of us spend our time scrolling endlessly through some form of social media. My poison of choice is Instagram. The platform relies on the user's interests to curate a personalized feed. It is no surprise that if you were to look at my feed, you'd notice that I follow many food accounts. But even if you don't follow the same accounts as me, I'm sure you've still come across people sharing pictures of acai bowls, bell pepper sandwiches, and the latest fad, nature's cereal, which is just mixed fruit and coconut water. The foods being promoted are objectively healthy. When I say they're healthy, I'm basing this assessment on a guide released to the general public by the USDA every five years. The document is known as the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, and it outlines the current recommendations on dietary patterns that can encourage better health outcomes. You might be wondering why these guidelines matter. According to the CDC, 6 in 10 adults in the U.S. have a chronic disease, and 4 in 10 adults have multiple comorbidities, meaning they have a diagnosis of two or more medical conditions. Heart disease and diabetes are two illnesses which place a major burden on people's quality of life as well as healthcare costs and spending in America. This is where registered dietitians come in. We help people understand how the foods they eat can support their body throughout the different stages of life. We try to prevent poor nutritional status because it can increase your risk of developing chronic diseases. 
Rather than overwhelm you with the complicated jargon, we'll use a simple everyday plate to map out the main dietary patterns dietitians advise most people to follow. Imagine you have a circular flat plate in front of you. If we divide this plate into four even sections, two sections should be filled with fruits and vegetables, another section will have your choice of animal or plant-based protein, and the last section will include any starchy foods like rice, potatoes, tortillas, bread, or pasta to name a few. The image I just described is a resource dietitians frequently reference. It's called MyPlate and it communicates the recommended daily intakes of broad food groups. It's important that we eat a varied diet because no one food group provides all the nutrients we need. Carbohydrates are one of three major nutrients that we get from our food. The other two are fats and protein, but we'll talk more about these in a future episode. Whenever we try to lose weight, most people go straight to cutting out carbs from their diet. Contrary to what you might have been told, this is actually the complete opposite of what we should be doing. Our bodies break down the foods we eat and convert carbohydrates into a usable form of energy. Blinking, breathing, typing, and thinking all use this byproduct of carbs. This is why you may feel tired and have trouble concentrating when you've gone a long time without eating. Hunger is our body's way of telling us that it needs more energy. The foods most of us automatically think of at the mention of carbs are rice, bread, potatoes, and pasta, but fruits and vegetables are included in this category too. Not all carbs are equal in terms of the amount of energy they provide. Compared to a medium-sized apple, a small bowl of cooked white rice provides about twice as much energy. Being energy dense does not mean the food is bad for us. The truth is that all of us need energy to carry out our everyday tasks. Depending on our physical activity level, age, and height, it will differ from person to person, and our approach to food should be reflective of this variability. Going back to our previous example of an acai bowl, it does not necessarily follow the structure of my plate, but it does satisfy the general goal to increase the amount of fruits we're consuming. The problem isn't the guideline or the food itself, rather it's the fact that social media or other media platforms can reinforce this idea that there's only one way to eat healthy. And if most people are participating in diet culture or food fads, it can put pressure on us to make changes to our diet which are unrealistic for many people. I have to admit, I also fell into this trap of thinking the foods I grew up eating weren't good for me. I was born in the US and I grew up in a neighborhood with predominantly white residents. In the entire middle school, I was one of four children who identified as Asian American. When I brought lunch to school, my classmates would say that my food looked weird or it smelled funny, so I eventually began buying lunch instead. It was around the same time that I unconsciously taught myself to reject my cultural food to fit in. Because of my experience, I think it made me more impressionable to what I was seeing on Instagram. I thought eating healthy meant I needed to eat salads and give up rice and Thai food completely. You might think that being well-versed in nutrition would fix my internal conflict in navigating between these two worlds, but when pad thai and green curry are the popular representation of my culture's cuisine on Instagram, it's difficult to see outside of the narrative that Thai food encourages caloric indulgence, given that our dishes are commonly prepared with coconut milk and eaten with white rice or noodles. This label of delicious but unhealthy is not isolated to one cuisine. Seda is one of my close friends from high school who's working towards becoming a doctor. She's Pakistani-American and immigrated here when she was about 11. 
Her experience is slightly different from my own. She still considers South Asian cuisine to be healthy, but she also understands why it gets described as heavy on social media. A heavy meal usually includes a high amount of carbohydrate or fats, which can make it very filling. I want to emphasize that food is only one piece of the puzzle, so just because a cuisine has energy-rich foods, it may not always translate to weight gain, nor is weight gain unique to a specific cultural dietary pattern. Also, labeling it as heavy fails to recognize and appreciate the historical and social context of the cuisine beyond its ability to provide nutrients. It's eaten for sustainability, but it's also like a way of celebrating. For example, if we have Eids or we have weddings and stuff, like you'll notice that the main event is usually the food. Professor Nora Ismail is a registered dietitian with a focus on community nutrition and the promotion of diversity, equity, and inclusion through her work. For her, eating healthy is more about our relationship with food rather than the food itself. She believes that a perfect diet doesn't exist, and we need to be mindful of the meanings we give to food when choosing what will best meet our needs. It's really about finding a balance to get to a point that you can enjoy your food and recognize that sometimes you're having really healthy food and that's enjoyable for you. In reality, our health and diet is fluid. Food can and should be eaten for nourishment, enjoyment, or both. Putting pressure on ourselves to eat healthy all the time can make this habit even harder for you to sustain in the long run. We see from our own experiences with our patients and clients that constantly restricting and constantly removing, it's not sustainable for people unless you're doing it very kind of gently. But what we see is just more practical and more achievable for people is to incorporate more foods. Whether you're cooking for yourself or ordering takeout from a restaurant, there are ways you can still enjoy your meal without feeling obligated to choose a side salad over fries or brown rice over white rice. If you're looking to increase the amount of fruits and vegetables in your diet, one at-home option that doesn't require any drastic changes is to simply add them to your meal. It's important to consider whether it makes sense to add the ingredient to your dish and whether you enjoy eating it. We can try this out using the baked feta pasta that was all over TikTok as an example. It's made with a block of feta cheese, cherry tomatoes, pasta, and herbs. Without swapping your pasta for a whole grain version, we can increase the nutritional value of the meal by adding spinach, bell peppers for crunch, or mushrooms for a meaty texture. If you're getting food from a restaurant, you want to think about variety and balance. At many American chain restaurants, they give you a choice of two sides with your main entree. Personally, I love french fries, so having them with steamed broccoli works best for me. You could apply the same concept to any restaurant. For example, last weekend, my family and I were craving Chinese food. Instead of getting fried rice and sesame chicken to share, between the two dishes, we wanted fried rice more and swapped the sesame chicken for shrimp and broccoli. The main point is to personalize and adapt everything to how you already eat. V is the other member of our little trio of friends whose interests are in mathematics and international relations. She is Vietnamese-American and immigrated to the U.S. when she was six years old. V finds that social media increases her curiosity to try new foods, but she doesn't notice it affecting her perception of healthy eating. V believes that fresh, colorful, and sustainable foods are the healthiest. Her understanding is deeply connected to the flavors, spices, and cooking style her grandparents exposed her to while growing up. There was always, like, vegetables, some sort of soup and greens when I'm eating Vietnamese food. Um, not a lot of focus on meat. That was more of for special events. 
So, you know, tofu, fish were the main sources of protein. And then, like they say white rice isn't good for you, but I've eaten that my whole life. Food is personal and can be tied to your emotions, memories, and heritage, which collectively make up your identity. So you might be thinking to yourself that the potential diet modifications I suggested earlier don't match your lifestyle. The key lesson here is to rely on your expertise in identifying realistic changes that can be made to your diet so that you're eating the most enjoyable foods for you. Dr. Urshila Sriram is a registered dietitian with extensive research experience and a public health background. She's also an adjunct professor at Simmons. Similar to Professor Ismail's definition of health, Dr. Sriram also recognizes that eating healthy is multifaceted. I think to me it is about nourishing my body, and so that means choosing foods that are giving me the nutrients that I need, but are also supporting how I feel when I eat them, honoring my preferences. So that means both personal preferences and family food traditions and cultural foods that I grew up with. And um, yeah, I think healthy also means not just our physical health, but our mental health as well. Contrary to how social media portrays a diet of smoothies and avocado toast as the ideal for healthy eating, Dr. Sriram says your cultural foods can offer comparable, if not greater, nutrition benefits because it supports your biological, social, and emotional needs. If you look at any cultural cuisine, there's a whole variety there that most of the rest of us, if you didn't grow up having that food or you're not from that heritage, you're not exposed to that. And you can see all of the tenants of fruits, vegetables, like higher fiber grains are found within all of these different cuisines. This brings us back to Seda, who argued that South Asian cuisine has more to offer than what it's given credit for. If you take my culture, for example, we don't really have salad. We have jock. It's like a mixture of herbs and beans and potato. Like, it's like a mixture of things. And it tastes so good and it's healthy. So I'm saying, like, basically what you're saying, right? Like, it doesn't have to be a salad. There are other options out there. A potluck is when everyone brings a homemade dish to a gathering. To me, there's something special about seeing dishes from different cultures and cuisines laid out on the same table. On a deeper level, each food represents a piece of the person that brought it. The meal serves as a celebration of our diversity and all the reasons why we eat food. After hearing from our guests, my hope is that you will reflect on your own relationship with food with a kinder point of view. At the end of the day, I think we're all looking for a solution that will keep us both happy and healthy. I want to give a special thanks to my guests, Seda, V, Professor Ismail, and Dr. Sriram for sharing their stories and insight with us. I also want to thank Erica Mora of Simmons Radio for helping me make this podcast possible. Last but not least, I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to Potluck. The music for this podcast was Dreamstroll by Ketza. Until next time, I'm Aliwan, and it's been a pleasure being your host.